Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. Does it spark joy? Y'all remember this phrase? In about 2014, it was a viral phrase because Japanese organization expert Marie Kondo sold 1.5 million copies of this book called The Art, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. And her key phrase was, does it spark joy? So this is how she, uh, she decided if an object should stay or go in, a, in someone's home. And if you were impacted by this movement, or you maybe remember someone who was, you remember seeing your home differently, your surroundings differently, and suddenly you were saying, does that old throw blanket really spark joy for me? (laughs) Moms could definitely say that the dirty socks left on the floor for days and days did not spark joy. But how then does one decide what really does spark joy? Before you spend hours debating if your curtains really spark joy, Marie does have a definition of what joy feels like. She says, she describes it as a little thrill, as if the cells in your body are slowly rising. I find that to be a very beautiful definition, as if the cells in your body are slowly rising. Maybe it's like a thrill of hope. And maybe Marie's methods became viral because our world is longing for joy. Our world is intrigued by joy and whether even objects around us can spark it somehow. And then it became, you know, almost a meme where people could spark joy and whole things could spark joy and it just grew on and on and on. So how does God spark joy in our midst? Today on this third Sunday of Advent, we sparked joy literally by lighting the candle of joy. And thank you all for doing that so beautifully. It's the shepherd's candle, and you'll notice that it is pink. And I find this so edgy for the liturgical calendar to go off of three weeks of purple and give us a pop of pink right here in the midst of Advent. The purple, you see, represents suffering and royalty, and it's the same colors that we see in Lent. We use those colors in Lent. And it represents um, Jesus as a king who suffers. And it's about uh, mourning and waiting. It's a very serious, somber color. But then, on the third Sunday, we get this pup of rose-colored pink. A liturgical color that symbolizes joy. And if you've ever seen a rose in full bloom, you probably know why they picked that color. God has been sparking joy since the beginning of creation. And this joy, my friends, has something to do with being amazed. 
today, our story picks up with the birth of John the Baptist. And we've been weaving these parallel stories of John's birth and the birth of Jesus during our series of Advent this year. Because Luke tells us that it's pretty important that we not only read the birth of Jesus, but we see the context in which Jesus was born. Because Jesus' birth doesn't just happen out of nowhere, right? Oh, here's, there's a Messiah. It's all, it's, it's all good now. But God enters into creation through a story that's already been going on, that the prophets have talked about for years and years. And John the Baptist plays a special role in that story. The story may have been going on for years and years and years, but the plot is headed in a new direction with the coming of the Messiah, the one who will restore creation and bring peace and hope to God's people, to all people in the earth, as the song said today. But this story, we're going to zoom into another moment of Zechariah and Elizabeth because they're important characters of this story. Let's hear about what they're up to and what is sparking joy for them in this particular passage. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke beginning in chapter 50, verse 57, chapter 1. So chapter 1, verse 57 of, of Luke. Hear these words. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives have this name. Then they began motioning to his father, Zechariah, to find out what name he wanted to give him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue was freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear and awe came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a few key phrases, but before we get there, remember the story we talked about before in the last few weeks where Zechariah had this encounter in the temple and Gabriel shows up and says, it, you're really old and your wife is getting on in years, but you're actually going to have a baby. And this baby is going to play a really important role in uh, the coming of the Messiah. And remember what he said? He was like, I don't think so. <laughs> he said, how will I know that this will be true? And then he loses his voice in the temple. So 
he hasn't really had a chance to talk with Elizabeth about what happened, and we don't really know exactly how she finds out that um, the baby will be named John. It seems that both of them find this out on their own timing and then miraculously discover that they have both figured this out, that his name is John. Amazement, joy, astonishment. Let's look at some key phrases. They shared her joy. Friends, joy is to be shared. This is such a key important phrase. They shared her joy. If you think about when something brings you joy, the first thing you want to do is tell someone else about it. And then what happens, it's almost like the joy spreads. The joy was shared. Her neighbors and relatives gather around her and they rejoice together. But in those, re in those moments of rejoicing, they decide that they're going to name him after his father. Surely this will just be Zechariah, mini-me, <laughs> part two, Zechariah. But his mother says no. His mother says no, he is to be called John. And they say, but none of your relatives has that name, which is another way of saying it's not in the list of approved baby names that we discussed. John is kind of coming out of left field here. Why would you name this child John? John is a name that means graced by God. And even though it's a name we're all familiar with, you probably know about 10 Johns yourself, this name was kind of radical for a baby at this, at this time. But this is a God that's not limited by traditions and generational social practices. John is a name that means graced by God. And if you are graced by God, you receive a new name. Something in the lineage changes. What's also interesting is that it's the woman, the mother, that speaks up and claims the name John based on her own divine intuition. Then they go to Zechariah because they're like, no, the dad must really know what's going on. The dad's going to know what, what name the baby should get. But even Zechariah, although he is not able to speak, he writes a name on a tablet. And to much surprise, it's the same name that Elizabeth has whispered. God, you see, is interrupting history with a new name. And God's grace is like that. Our long-held traditions become graced by God. And everything changes. We get new identities, new names, new chapters of God's story open up. Because you see, John meaning graced by God, will spend his life paving the way for Jesus. And a Messiah is coming that changes everything. And everyone is astonished. 
They didn't have a chance to plan this out and say, hey, I'm going to pretend to lose my voice and you're going to already know the name and then it's going to be like one, two, three, we surprise everybody. They didn't have time to plan that out. This isn't a coinkadink. It's actually a moment where the Holy Spirit shows up and there's something astonishing that's happened. And it's a sign of a new era where more astonishing things will happen. A new kingdom where Jesus is king, not Herod. And so once this happens and the writing on the tablet is revealed, they were all amazed. The scripture says that. It says they were all amazed. So you're telling me that a story that begins in one man's skepticism and weary silence ends in a whole group of people being amazed. And that's what God is capable of. We come with our individual weary moments and we end up somehow part of something bigger than us. When the Holy Spirit shows up and Christ's kingdom begins, our individual size of skepticism, our how will I know that this is true, somehow turn into shared hallelujahs. Because we acknowledge our weariness, we find connection together in sharing stories and we allow ourselves to be amazed at what God can do in our midst. So how, how often do you let yourself be amazed? Joy is sparked by awe and amazement. And to have awe is to be open to being amazed by God in little moments and big moments. We had an artist last night at the reception share, and I loved what she said. She said that when awe is something that really inspires her work, and she said most people think about awe like big capital letters awe, you know, the moment where you, you have your first baby or you see, um, you see stars in the sky without any lights that are polluting it, you know, these really big moments. But she said that it's lowercase awe that inspires her work. Small moments where she notices amazing things. So how often do you notice amazing things? It's hard, isn't it? It's a bit vulnerable to be amazed by the world. If you have seen the movie Elf, you know that Buddy the Elf is amazed by everything. He has never been to New York City before. And even though he lives at the North Pole, he finds New York City even more amazing than the North Pole. Why? Because he has awe at everything. And we might watch this movie this time of year, but it's a little easier to just laugh at Buddy the Elf having awe than it is to practice radical awe and amazement ourselves. 
It's funny to watch someone else let their jaw drop than to actually surrender ourselves to awe and amazement. We've probably tucked away the parts of us that regularly feel awe because we've outgrown it. We're grown-ups now, and so we don't need to be amazed at everything, but the youngest among us show us that awe is something you can't really outgrow. And it's a key part of experiencing who God is and what our role is in what God is doing. We can't outgrow it. We can reconnect with this part of us and we can let God surprise us with astonishing things. We can give in to amazement and pay attention to those moments that make our eyes open up a little bigger and our self-preoccupation grows a little smaller. Those are important moments. We can let God shake us out of our sleepy, dull fog that we live in sometimes and wake us back up to this abundant life that God has called us to where not everything will be perfect, where not everything will be easy, but there will be astonishing moments that we get to be part of. Maybe the, the pink candle of joy is something you are excited for today and ready for. Maybe joy feels easily accessible for you. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you are feeling weariness and joy feels inaccessible. So we can start with awe. We can start with noticing the beauty of the person in front of us, feeling the air that fills our lungs, the connections that we are blessed to have in our lives. And we can write those things down, little moments of awe. And maybe then we'll be surprised that joy sometimes is sparked again. When we allow ourselves to be in awe, amazed at what God can do. There's a quote about joy um, by Frederick Beekner, who I often quote, but I love what he says. And he says that there is not one of us whose life has not already been touched somewhere with joy, so that in order to make it real for us, it should be enough for Jesus simply to remind us of it. Yet this is not easy because these moments are not moments we associate with religion. We tend to think that joy is not only properly religious, but at, that it's the opposite of religion. We tend to think that religion is sitting stiff and antiseptic and a little bored, and that joy is laughter and freedom and reaching out our arms to embrace the world. We need to be reminded that at its heart, Christianity is joy, and that laughter and freedom and the reaching out of arms are the essence of it. 
we need to be reminded, too, that joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is man-made. A happy home, a happy marriage, a happy relationship. We work for these things. If we are careful and wise and lucky, we can usually achieve them. We, can't, we can take credit for happiness, but we can never take credit for joy because we know that joy is not man-made and we are not responsible for it. Joy comes when it comes. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that I have come so that your joy might be complete, your joy might be full. That actually says that my joy may be complete in you. Forgive me. This is the essence of the gospel, that Jesus' joy would be full in us. That we could be amazed at who God is and what God is capable of. And that sometimes we'll feel weariness. Often we'll feel weariness. But even in those weary moments, we might feel awe, we might feel gratitude to be alive, we might feel hope that God really does still care about this planet, and God is with us in the birth of Jesus Christ. That is good news, good news to rejoice about. There's a, an image that we're going to look at, the, a painting, a digital painting that's from our uh, curriculum here. And it's an image of Zechariah once his voice returns to him and he exclaims and praises God and, and gives a, a prophecy about who John will be. And this is what the artist says about that. In this image, I wanted to capture the moment Zechariah's voice returns to him. I decided to depict only half of Zechariah's face. This miracle is not really about him, but what happens through him. When he confirms John's name, he sheds his distrust of the angel's impossible news. His skepticism and weariness subside as he awakens to the joy in his midst. He allows himself to be amazed. Zechariah's voice pours out of him, parting the surrounding crowd like the Red Sea, stirring each person into confusion and bewilderment. The blessing of his song spills over to his son, who is tenderly held by his mother. Joy, astonishment, amazement. When he gets his voice back, he could have used his first few words to tell God a thing or two and say, why the heck did you take my voice away? But instead, this time of silence leads him to open his mouth in praise. Friends, the, the joy that I'm talking about is, is not just the delight of sparkly Christmas lights although that can be very delightful. It's a deep, abiding joy. It's a joy that knows that a different king is coming, 
a different king who will set the captive free and will protect those who are marginalized, where empires of oppression will end and the lowly will be lifted up. Jesus is our Lord, and that means that everything is different because of his merciful rule. So as we go on towards the big, the big Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this week, you might see moments of delight. You might feel some happiness at a Christmas tune, but pay attention. Make room for a deep abiding joy the kind of joy that sings and shouts and dances because God is here with us. So Zechariah had a tablet because he was waiting for his voice to come back patiently. So he, he needed an iPad, really, but he only had a tablet and I, I wonder the names that um, that showed up on this tablet. That when the when the name John showed up, there was such astonishment. So, who who is the king of the world? When when others might say that it's Herod. When others might say that the king is Herod, a powerful ruler, the king is Jesus. And, and when in your own lives you feel someone's going to give you a name. Oh, just name him Zechariah. Oh, just name him Sinner. Oh, just name him Other or Outcast. Oh, just, they don't even need a name. Our God is the God who says, I created you and I am with you always till the end of time and you are beloved it's astonishing what happens when we let the spirit show up and joy is sparked again <laughs> 